So we are going to take a break this morning from our series on the Holy Spirit, and I, I want to challenge our graduates with something, uh, but really, this is for all of us. And so don't, don't tune out the moment you hear that this was uh, prayed through with our graduates in mind, because I just feel like the Lord really has something profound for us this morning. You know, a great storyteller has almost a magical way to transport a person. And one of the ways that a, story, a good storyteller, everybody know a good storyteller, right? I, I, and you just love being around a good storyteller. There was this guy, not was, there is a guy that I used to hunt with in Colorado. And we would, everybody in the evening after a hard day's hunt, you'd sort of gather around uh, a, a the stove inside the tent, it might be 15 degrees and snowing hard outside. But there was a guy named Brian, and Brian inevitably would be the one that all the chairs would gather around. And somebody say, Brian, tell us a story. And Brian would start telling stories from his military career, and we would sit there for, I mean, literally for hours because he just had this incredible way of telling a story that made you, you were just, you were there in the story with him. A good storyteller will take whatever subject it is that he wants to talk about and he'll share information in a way um, it, that causes you to think about books or movies that you've seen before. And really what they're doing is that they create a mental picture for you. So you can, you can close your eyes and, and you can see it so that you find yourself in the story. I remember when I was in elementary school, it was the first time I ever remember reading a book and getting caught up in it to the point that I had to write, like it's probably like a one-page book report, um, maybe, maybe more than that, but I remember it being such a big deal. And, and of course, because I am a child of a great age, this was pre-laptop computers. And so we're writing everything out by hand, and you're getting graded on penmanship, and you're getting graded on punctuation and grammar and all the things, right? And, and especially because this was a book report, you're getting graded on, did you understand the material, right? It, Write something intelligent. You, you learn something. And I remember I got to the end of my paper, and the book was Huckleberry Finn. I got the end, to the end of my paper, and I realized, I mean, this is a big deal. Like, you write the first copy in pencil, and like the copy you turn in back in the day, you would write in what? Pen, right? And, and you don't want white out all over your paper. Like, once it's in pen, it's done. And I, turn, I, I got done with the paper, and I realized I'd made a horrible mistake. About halfway through my book report, I stopped referring to Huckleberry Finn as he, and I started referring to Huckleberry Finn as me. Like I had gotten so caught up in the story, I turned it in. And my teacher gave me grace because she was like, that's exactly what we want when we read great books. We want to get, Jesus was a master at this. Jesus would tell a story, and people were there with him. He would use examples that people understood. That's what the parables are about. He's telling something that has a deeper, transcendent meaning, but he's telling it in a way that you and I can understand. 
that we'd get caught up in it. So that's what, that's what he does. For instance, when he continued the conversation that he began, flip over in your Bibles to John chapter 14. I want to show you this. And this is where we're going to spend our time together in John chapter 15. We've got to look at one little uh, sentence in John chapter 14 first. Um, Jesus has been in the upper room. Okay, this is, right, we, we are really, when you think of it, we're hours away from trial and execution. Okay, this is, these are the last moments that Jesus has with the disciples. I mean, the last hours, the last days. It's all coming to a head. Things have reached a tipping point, a boiling point, and, and things are, are now set in place that, that will not be undone. They've had, they've had the, 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 the meal together in the upper room. But in chapter 14 of John, um, the last verse, I want you to look at it real quick. There's a sentence. It's, it's sort of not a, it's not a big theological point that Jesus makes here. It's just as an aside. He says, I do exactly as the Father commanded me, period. But do you see what comes next? Look at it. He says, rise or get up. Let's go from here. Now, that's sort of important to set yourself in the story, which is what we're about to attempt to do. Because when you read John chapter 15, 16, 17, which... I believe if these are the only three chapters of the Bible that we had, we'd have enough here to trust and follow Jesus forever. This is, this is, there's such richness here for us. But understanding that last little sentence in John chapter 14 now sets us in the story because they're not sitting in a room listening to Jesus' lecture. What are they doing? They're walking. Jesus is walking with the disciples. And John chapter 15, 16, and 17 is a conversation that they have as they are walking together. So, let's put ourselves in the story. Let's do what I did when I was in second or third grade. There's 11 of us here. There's not, there's not 12 anymore because one of our friends got up and Jesus looked at him and said, go, go do what it is that you're about to do. Um, and so Judas He's left. Jesus has served us the meal. It's a meal we're, we're never going to forget. It, it's a deep meal and a confusing meal. He's talked about bread and blood. He's talked about flesh and wine. We don't understand it at the time, but later we did come to understand it in some very peculiar ways. And after the meal, Jesus looks at us and says, guys, let's get up and, and, and go. And we get up and we begin to walk with Jesus. Now, you and I here in 2023 know where that group was headed. They are headed to the Mount of Olives, and they're specifically headed to a place called Gethsemane. There's a garden there. It's still there. Olive trees that have been growing for hundreds and hundreds of years are still there. You can go and, and, and see them. That's where eventually they'll wind up that night. A, a garden where Jesus' prayers would turn into blood from his skin, where he would look at his friends and say, guys, I'm, I'm grieved I, to the point almost of death. Pray with me. Friends, pray with me. And he'd have to wake them up. We get to be a part of the conversation that took place on this road, on this path from the upper room 
to the garden. And it's a conversation that really set some things in the hearts of the followers of Jesus that they would carry with them to the grave. And so we get up. And we begin walking with Jesus just like we've done so many times before. So much of the ministry that Jesus shared with us as disciples was walking down the road from one place to another place. It wasn't just the stuff that happened when we got there. It was the conversations as we were walking down the road. Walking with Jesus has always been an adventure. And some of the most impactful moments of the disciples' lives happened just because they walked with him. And as, as followers of Jesus, as young followers of Jesus, here's what you're going to discover as well. Some of the most impactful moments of your life will happen just because you're walking with Jesus. You think to the scriptures, maybe, maybe the most incredible story for me in the New Testament is this time that the disciples were out in a boat and they look out and they see Jesus walking across a lake. Now this is incredible because nobody had ever seen someone walk across a lake before. And we've never seen it since. This is the only time we've ever, record, ever recorded in history that somebody walked across a lake. Now, it's fascinating and it's remarkable that Jesus was walking across a lake. But when you think about it long enough, you say, but he's God. It's amazing Jesus walked up. But that's not the most amazing part of the story, is it? What's the most amazing part of the story? Peter. Why? Because Peter is just like you and me. In all of the ways... What's remarkable is Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water, and he's not God. And for a long time when I thought about this story, I thought about, oh, it's so remarkable, Peter walked on the water. But here's what eventually I, I, I began to think. Peter really wasn't walking on water as much as he was walking with Jesus. And when you walk with Jesus, you'll find some pretty fascinating things will happen in your life. It did for Peter. When you walk with Jesus into the marketplace, you will find that fascinating things take place. When you walk with Jesus onto the mission field, you will find incredible things take place. It's as you walk with Jesus, which is what they're doing. It's another, another stroll by moonlight that they're taking together. And so we get up and we begin walking with Jesus. And there are things that he feels that he must tell us in this the last night that we'll spend with him. Let me give you three truths this morning. The first one is this. The goal of a disciple's life is to honor the Father by bearing much fruit. The goal of a disciple's life. Now, whether you've been walking with Jesus for 80 years or you've been walking with Jesus for eight minutes, the goal is the same. The goal of a follower of Christ, our life, is, according to Jesus, we're going to read this in a moment, is to honor our Father in heaven by bearing a great deal of fruit. Look down at chapter 15, verse 8. We're going to jump ahead here. Chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus told us that the end goal for us as his followers is, by this my Father is glorified, he's honored, that you bear much Fruit, and you'll prove to be my disciples when you bear much fruit. So the goal for my life, not as a pastor, not as a dad, not as a husband, just before all that, as a follower of Jesus, the goal of my life is to honor my Father in heaven by bearing fruit. And so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, disciples, Christians, our goal, 
according to our teacher, the founder of our faith, our Messiah, the one we follow, is to glorify our Father in heaven by bearing fruit. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's what it all boils down to. By bearing as much fruit as the Father enables us to bear, that is the whole sum total goal of our life. And let's just notice something here um, that might be easily overlooked. Jesus says at the beginning of chapter 15, he says, and we're going to read this together, but I want to go ahead and clue you in on this. He says, I'm the true vine, and I want you to bear much fruit. Let's look at 15, chapter 1, I mean, verse 1 through 11 together. Jesus says, right after they get up and they start walking together, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, this is an important phrase, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There's something fascinating in the words of Jesus, the language he used. And this, this, at this point, I want you to realize this, at this point in the nation of Israel, well, think of it this way. When you look at these colors put together in this particular pattern, no matter where you are in the world, what do you think of? United States of because that's what a flag does. It's the emblem for the nation. And particularly on top of that flag post right there, what do you see? An eagle. An eagle is really, it's, it's sort of like the mascot for America, isn't it? When we think not in a cute way, but just that's, that's it. Like it's on our money, right? We put it on things. We've got statues of, of eagles. We love eagles in America. It's a good thing Ben Franklin didn't have his way because there'd be a, a, a turkey on top of that right now if he did. Not nearly as awe-inspiring, but far more delicious. It's true. But at, at this point when Jesus is talking in the nation of Israel's history, do you know what their bald eagle was? Any guesses based on what we just read? I wouldn't be asking if it wasn't important. It's a grapevine. It's a vine. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? If you see a vine in those days, you thought, Israel, you see an eagle in our days, or red, white, and blue with the stripes and the stars? You think America. In these days, you see the vine, you think Israel. In fact, what's really interesting is in the temple itself, 
in Jerusalem at the time Jesus spoke these words existed a beautiful, golden, luxurious vine. Everybody turn around and sort of just look to the back. You see, you see the doors that go out the back there? Okay, now imagine, you can look back up here. Imagine that, imagine that those were the doors inside to the temple. Um, there was an opening behind those doors that went into the holiest place. And outside of that, on uh, the doorway, on the door casing that went around the door, was this magnificent, glorious, golden vine. It represented the nation. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, he said that the clusters of the grapes on that golden vine, watch this, were so large that... They were as large as a full-grown man. Now, once a year, what would happen is the wealthy in society would take their jewelry, their gold that they'd accumulated, and they would take it and they would donate it to the temple. And that gold would be melted down and it would be formed into grapes that would then be attached to the vine in the temple. That's the picture, okay? Here's why that's important. Because when Jesus is walking with the disciples, they leave the upper room that's up somewhere on the Temple Mount, and they begin to walk down the road. And guess what they're going to pass? The temple. And normally, the doors to the temple would be closed at night, but it's Passover. And so the gates to the temple are now open. Now, just imagine this, that as they're walking, what if? We don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell us when they passed by that. Can you imagine as they walk by and the gates are open, the flames are lit because sacrifices are being prepared and things are going to take place the next day, and there's still a little busyness about the temple. Can you imagine as they walk by? They look in and they see the light glimmering off these beautiful grapes the size of a full-grown man and a vine that represented the nation of Israel when Jesus said, I, I am the vine. Now, the word that Jesus uses here, this is so important, is aletheia. Okay? This is an important word. You know that. Anybody know what that word means outside of this family over here? It means true. Or authentic. Jesus says, I am the true or the authentic vine. I'm the real deal. I'm the real vine. This was the message. Now listen, like the last thing Jesus is able to share with his followers is this. I'm the real vine. I'm the true vine. I'm I'm the authentic and sincere true vine. This is what he's looking at us and saying as we're walking with him. It's impossible to hear that and not realize that Jesus is comparing himself to something else, right? When you say I'm the true something, I'm the authentic something, I'm the real something, you're comparing yourself to, to, to something that is not true, that's not authentic, something that's false, Something that has pretense. Let me illustrate it like this. Somebody, I need some help here. 
Somebody tell me what you do for a living. Somebody right here. Somebody, just anybody. What do you do? Somebody. You run a lawnmower shop. And what if I told you I run a real lawnmower shop? <laughs> what, am I, what am I saying about this, though? Am I right? Somebody over here. What do you do? Joe, what do you do? Cop. I'm a real cop. <laughs> how does that hit? I mean, how does it hit you? Somebody else. Somebody back here. Teacher, but I'm a real teacher. What do you do? Now, you don't ever want to be in the air with somebody that's just a pilot. You want to be in the air with somebody that's a... Do you see it? So Jesus is saying, like, what that thing is that is all that gold, all that jewelry that's melted down into the shape of a vine and all these rich people that bring in their gold and sacrifice it and donate it to the temple and it gets melted down and they make these grapes the size of a person and they get stuck on the vine in the temple and then Jesus says, I am the real vine. Therefore, that's not real. That's not authentic. I'm the truth. And what he's saying about Israel, listen, is you guys are not the vine. That's not a slam. Like he's not putting them down and saying you guys are nothing or you're not important. He's just saying you're not the vine. You're not the source of life. This is supposed to be a good thing. You're supposed to be a good vine, uh, Israel. But, but you know what the Bible often talks about in the Old Testament about Israel as a vine? Jeremiah chapter 221. You don't have to turn there, but just maybe write it down. He said, yes, I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned, listen to this, degenerate and a wild vine? I don't know if you've ever been called degenerate before. But that's just about the worst thing you can call somebody. It's not nice language. Like if you're de degenerate, um, I, I, I don't know all that that means, but I know it's not very good. And I'm going to be very offended if you call me degenerate. Somebody will do that today in an email, I promise you. <laughs> Hosea chapter 10, listen to this. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, oh, which is good. Is a luxuriant vine, bearing much fruit. But what happens? The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Jesus says that Israel is called a vine. And then Jesus, or God the Father, would look at them and say, you're supposed to be a good vine. Just as, a, just as we are spo we're supposed to have good fruit. We're supposed to have good life running through us. But Jesus looked at Israel and said, the more and more fruit you got and the more things went well for you, the more you got dependent on yourself, the more you trusted in yourself and the less you trusted in the true vine. Students, you are going to have successes. Things are going to, you're, you're bright, intelligent. You have more talent in your pinky nail than I have in my whole body, some of you. 
And here, here's the warning. Don't start to trust in yourself when things go well. You are not the vine. You're a terrible vine. You can't give life to other people. You can't give life to yourself. Jesus is the vine, and here's the deal. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter how long you've been a part of the church. None of that cuts it. It doesn't matter how much money someday you're going to make, how well you live, how fancy your house is, how nice your truck is. The most influential sermon that I heard in my younger years, in my formative years when I was a college-age student. I wasn't, I wasn't there the day this message was given. But there was a message given at a gathering of college students called One Day in the year 2000. And at the time, the pastor that came and spoke there, he wasn't entirely well-known. Now today, people look at him as, as really a father figure in ministry. He's been very, very influential. His name's John Piper. And John Piper showed up, uh, just to be honest with you, the nerdiest-looking guy that would come on the platform that day. Speaking, I mean, looked like a professor, He's got the mind of a professor, and he said this, and I'm just going to read this to you because it, it wrecked a generation's lives for the sake of the gospel. And I want you to hear, students, I want you to hear this. Here's what he said. He said, three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80, single, all her life a nurse. She poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor and the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards was a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, partnering up with Ruby, she was asked, also pushing 80, to go from village to village in Cameroon. And then just almost flippantly, John Piper says, the brakes gave way, over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. He just said it like that. And I've watched this video dozens of times, and every time he says it, I'm just taken aback. I'm like, wow, just like that. And then he said, he, I asked my people, is this a tragedy? When you watch this video, go Google it. Just type in Seashells John Piper on YouTube. And when he asked this question to these thousands of college-age students, the response was, no, this is, not, this is not a tragedy. Two women in their 80s almost, a whole life devoted to one idea. Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick and the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, they fly into eternity with a death in moment. And he asked again, is this a tragedy? The crowd knew the answer, calling out, no. It is not a tragedy, Piper said. I'll read you what a tragedy is. And then he pulled out a page from a Reader's Digest. And he said, I don't know where I got it because I didn't subscribe. And he says, I must have found it in a doctor's office somewhere. And he read it to them. And this is what he read. Bob and Penny took early retirement for their jobs in Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. They now live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler play softball, and collect shells. And he looked at thousands of college students gathered on a field, and he said, that's a tragedy. 
And there are people in this country, he went on to say, that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And he said, I get 40 minutes to plead with you. Don't buy it. With all my heart, he said, please don't buy that dream. He said, at the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did, do not say, here it is, Lord, my shell collection, and I've got a good swing, and look at my boats. And he closed with this, don't waste your life. Students, you are going to be told by the world And forgive us ahead of time, sometimes by well-meaning followers of Jesus. You'll be told by the world and others that the only fruit that is worth your life is the fruit of accumulation. It's the fruit of comfort. But Jesus said the only fruit that is worth your life is fruit that remains. The only thing that will save you, and this is true, For you and I today, the only thing that will save us and the only thing that matters is being a branch that is grafted into the true vine through relationship with God's own Son. There is nothing you or I could do, could ever do, that would merit that. The goal for your life, as you're graduating high school, graduating college, or if you've been out for a long time, The goal for your life must be to bring glory to our Father in heaven through bearing fruit that remains. Let's say you come to faith at six years old and you live to be 96. You could spend 90 years of your life here on earth and not know what the end zone looks like. I don't want that kind of life. Do you want that kind of life? So mark it down right now, the goal of your life. Bring glory to your Father in heaven by bearing much fruit that remains. The challenge of the disciples' life is to allow the vine dresser to do hard work in us. Now, look back at verse 2 in your copy of God's Word. Every branch in me, I told you we'd circle back to this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit says he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, um, he, 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 he he, he cuts it so that will bear more fruit. This little verse has caused a great deal of confusion over the years. What does it mean that a branch can be in Christ but also be taken away if it's not fruit-bearing? Well, there's really just a couple of options here. The first one, the first option, like let's just get it out, out there on the table. What does it mean to be a branch that can be taken away if you're already in Christ? Option A, you could lose your salvation. Well, let's just put that out there first. That's not what this means. That is against the bulk of Scripture. Scripture teaches that once you're in Christ, you're in Christ, and he is not letting go of you. If salvation was dependent on us, yes, we could lose it, but it's not, is it? Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful your salvation is not dependent on you, or keeping your salvation is not dependent on you? It is dependent on who? That's it. That's all of it. Jesus says, with this whole visual thing that he's got going, That I am the vine. I'm the vine. My father is the vine dresser. We're branches. The imagery he's using to this point. I'm the vine. My father. The vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the one that comes by with the pruning shears, with the loppers, whatever tool he needs. He's cutting off what? What do you cut off? The dead parts. 
cutting off the things that, that aren't going to grow. If you're a gardener, you know this. If you've got perennials that come back every year, sometimes at the end of the year in the, in the season where everything dies back, we, we, what do we do with them? Mow them down. Take off the old dead wood. Most things don't bloom on the old dead wood. Some do, but you still have to know where to cut. It's the same with a fruit tree. You've got to know which branches to cut to produce not just lots of fruit, but good, big, beautiful fruit. What Jesus is saying here, the word that we're concerned with here is the Greek word iro. That's the word translated in verse 2, take away. But I want you to see something. A more consistent way of looking at that word is the translation lifts up. Anybody grow tomatoes? Yeah, raise your hand so I can know who to come get tomatoes from. Okay. Thank you. Chris, did you take notes? We're growing tomatoes, Okay. And in my limited experience as a gardener, and we grew tomatoes in our backyard in Colorado, um, and didn't grow as well, but here's what we learned, especially we grew cherry tomatoes really, really well. Here's what we've learned. You can't just put a little tomato seedling in the ground and then walk away. Why? What happens to that? That thing's going to get long and viney, and what is it going to do? It's going to lay on the ground, isn't it? What happens to tomatoes when they just lay on the ground? They get rotten. So what do you have to do to a tomato plant? You have to lift it up. Now, this is what, remember, we're talking about a vine. Jesus is talking about a vine. A tomato is a viney type plant. It's just a good example. Grapes would be the same way. What do you do? You don't, he's not cutting it off. He's lifting it up. And so what we do with tomatoes is we put a tomato cage around them. We build a trellis for them. Why? So that we can lift them So the hard work in your life and in my life is the lifting up. It's the pruning. And only the gardener knows, only the master gardener, only the vine dresser knows exactly how each vine, each branch needs to be lifted up. And there are certain things that he's going to come along in your life. Students, listen to me. There are going to be certain things where he comes along in your life that he is going to cut off and it's going to hurt like crazy. And you are literally going to think, God, why are you trying to kill me? There's no joke there. Some of us in this room have said that, haven't we? God, you're trying to, you're trying to take me out. And he said, no, I'm trying to take you off so that I remain. I'm trying to take you out. I'm trying to reform you into the image of Christ. He lifts us up to see it and to give us perspective. He lifts us up by by helping us to, causing us to go deep in his word, to see the promises of God that will continue as he lifts us up. He lifts us up by engaging us in prayer and in worship. One of my uh, uh, favorite preachers and authors died this last weekend. His name was Tim Keller. Tim just had a long battle with pancreatic cancer and he graduated this week to, to heaven. And Tim said, just a couple of months ago, he remarked to John Piper in an email. He said to him, I would not trade the prayer life I had now for the prayer life I had before cancer for anything in the world. What is that? It's the lifting up. It's the pruning. And that's the hard work that the vine dresser will do in your life. 
And it takes a great deal of wisdom and trust in the vine dresser to cooperate when he's lifting you up and cutting off the pieces that don't belong. And the power, the last thing I'll say to you, is the power of the disciple's life is to abide in Jesus. The two types of believers we read about in Scripture, there's just two, there's just two. We complicate it, but there's two types of believers we read in Scripture, fruitful and unfruitful. All, 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 all comes down to relationship here. Always does. We just seem to be going back to this over and over. It just comes down to relationship, and here's the key. The only way to bring glory, we've talked about this all day long, the only way to bring glory and, and, and happiness to your Father in heaven is to abide in his Son. The only way to have relationship with the Father, Jesus tells us, is to abide in his Son. Anything we do outside of abiding in the Son is waste and worthless in his eyes, the only eyes that really matter. What does the vine dresser do for the unfruitful branch? He lifts it up. What does he do for the fruitful branch? Now watch. Just look back in your copy of God's word. He prunes the fruitful branch. That's the work of a loving father in your life. Organizing, directing circumstances, relationships to prune off the dead weight. And you'll do what? What will you do? You will bear even more fruit. So don't think for a moment that because hard things are happening in your life that it's because you're outside of the will of God. Much of the time in the life of a faithful Christian, God sends things into our lives. Hard things sometimes. Painful things sometimes. Hurtful things sometimes. But what is he doing? He's saying you can be trusted to bear even more fruit. So I'm going to prune off the parts that don't belong. So I want you to bear even more fruit for our Father in heaven. Some of us in the room, sometimes when we go through those hard things, we do think, now hear me, God, are you, are you, are you punishing me? That last cut was deep. I can't even, I, listen, I can't even imagine some, some of the things you've been through. Some of you have lost spouses that you've been with for decades. Children. Lost jobs. Seen people that you loved abandon you, abuse you, stab you in the back. And it is only natural for the question to come, God, why are you punishing me? But listen to me. If you are a child of God, every ounce of punishment that God has for you was absorbed by his son on the cross. He's not punishing you. He's pruning. He's disciplining. So that you will bear more fruit and live the kind of life that will bring honor and glory to your heavenly Father in heaven. So I will say to you the same thing that was said to my generation 23 years ago. Don't waste your life. Pursue relationship through the vine and let him bear much fruit through you. Jesus abided in the Father. He did that by spending time with him, by being alone with him, by praying 
It's all about relationship and trust. So at the end of our time, are you in a season of pruning? This is for all of us. Endure. Learn the lessons of pruning that he has for you. Are you unfruitful? Let him lift you up. Let him lift you up. Are you in the vine? Some of us in the room, we're not connected to the vine at all. We're out here trying to be our own vine. We're trying to, we're trying to get life from somebody else. It only happens through relationship to the vine, trusting in Jesus, following Jesus. And then the last thing is for all of us, but especially our young people, can I just encourage you? Just put your yes on the table right now. Don't wait for the question to be asked to will you go here? Will you do this? Will you serve them? Just get in the habit of saying yes. Here's my yes. I'll go wherever you send. I'll do whatever you ask. You with me? Let me pray for you, students. Let me pray for his church. The Lord's doing something in your heart, and you need to talk through that with somebody. You need to pray with somebody. We'll be down front. If you need this morning to begin relationship with the vine, Jesus himself, then I just beg of you, come down, take us by the hand, and say, I, just, I need to be connected to Jesus and we'll work with you and pray with you and lead you to him. If you've been unfruitful in your life and you need to come down and ask the Lord, will you lift me up? I want to bear fruit for you, but I feel like I'm just laying on the ground right now. Come and ask him. You're in a season of pruning and you, you need to be strengthened with, with trust as he comes die doing that hard work in your life. Come to him in prayer. Tell him that. And pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. It is in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. And we ask in the name of Jesus this morning, right now, that each and every one of us in the room would bring glory and honor to our Father in heaven by bearing much fruit. Some of us need to be lifted up this morning because we're not bearing fruit. Some of us need to trust you more in a season of pruning. Some of us this morning just need to be connected to the vine, to relationship with you. We love you. We pray over our students, our graduates, our young people. And God, we ask for you to do good work in all of us. In the good and the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.